The games are underway and DraftKings is bringing you to the podium. DraftKings free-to-play pools are available every day of the games in Tokyo and offering a free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes. That's up to $50,000 up for grabs and the best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's events and track your results throughout the evening to see if you will achieve a victory. Questions will range from medal count to questions specific to the USA team. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes every day of the games in Tokyo. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. I'm Harrison Fagan. I'm the editor-in-chief of Silver Screen and Roll, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren Lee Chen here, bringing you another episode of On the NBA Beat. It feels like just yesterday that the champions were crowned, but as we know, basketball never sleeps, and after the excitement of the NBA draft, teams and fan bases around the league are hoping that they've found the prospect that can be their next franchise cornerstone or the missing piece that helps them improve their standing in the league. For this episode, we're enlisting the help of Brian Schroeder, amateur NBA draft analyst and a guy who's seen the movie Jurassic Park over a hundred times. This episode, I also want to introduce you to new contributing host, Duel Graham, who will be helping Aaron and I out with hosting duties from time to time. You might remember Joel from our previous episode about the Bucks Championship and can hear more from him on his own podcast, Gimme a Buck. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hey Brian, thank you for joining us today and lending your expertise as we break down the outcome of this exciting NBA draft. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. And Appropriately, what better place to start than the very top, the number one pick, Cade Cunningham, going to the Detroit Pistons? I've heard in pre-draft talks that some are calling him the most surefire prospect since Anthony Davis. What can you tell us about the immediate impact that he might bring to the Pistons, who were the bottom of the East last year, 
but do have an interesting young core in Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and others. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of reject the idea of calling him. Uh, sure thing, I think, is doesn't exist. But uh, I think what people are getting at with that is that Cade's, I don't like using floor, but his floor is so obvious. And the, the thing he really gives to the Pistons is just having a guy, like, this is the guy you're building around. And they haven't had one. I mean, did anyone really think that was Andre Drummond? I mean, I, I liked young Andre Drummond, but I don't think anyone was really like, this is your star. Depending on how you view Chauncey Billups, it's been 15, 10, 15 years since they've had that kind of player. And he just fits. He fits with anybody. That's I think that's his, his biggest strength as not as like on court, but like his biggest strength as like a, a prospect, as like a, a piece to build around is he's extremely scalable. Like when he was at Montverde and he's with the FIBA U nineteen team in twenty nineteen, he was basically trying to be Chris Paul. Like he didn't want to score. He wanted the pass and, and run pick and rolls and just that Montverde team he was on had Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, and Daron Sharp on it. All, all first on picks, and then they had two other guys who will be first on picks next year and the year after. And so, like, he didn't really have to shoot, didn't really have to score, and I, he's more than willing to to jump into that role if he has to. But I think the year at Oklahoma State, kind of having to have like thirty uses and be a lead scorer, has also helped him a lot. Where he's just he can do that too if he needs to. I really don't see how he's not going to be at least very good. Like it, it seems almost impossible to me because he's an excellent shooter. He's very, very good at defense. That's not talked about enough. He's like, I don't really care how bad his burst is. It's six foot eight. He's six foot eight. He's going to be the guy you build around and that's going to help him. That's going to help everyone else on that team. Really? I mean, Jeremy Grant's really fun, but I don't think you really are going to make the playoffs with Jeremy Grant as your lead guy. That's going to help Killian Hayes a lot for sure. That's a big, get like i saw people talking about this is like uh oh can you take a guy like Cade when you already have a point guard and it's like you yeah can have five point guards really like there's no limit to that and it's gonna be great for killian hayes he's not gonna be focused on by the entire defense anymore which really hurt him as fresh with his first few weeks before he got hurt it was really rough yeah i'm sort of anti making like comps or Mm -hmm. immediate post-draft grades but you look at a guy like Cade, 6'8 playmaker, what else do you ask for in today's NBA? A guy that you mentioned in that answer is high school teammate Scotty Barnes. He was one of the early surprises of draft night, Raptors selecting him at number four on your pre-draft big board. Like I think a lot of most mock drafts, you had Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs in mm-hmm. a top slash 1.5 type tier behind Cade. What do you think the Raptors saw in uh, Barnes that led them to selecting him over the consensus pick, which seemed to be Suggs? Well, he I know he tested really, really well athletically. He has weird issues like as a jumper. I don't know if it's ankle stuff. Like He's a good athlete, but he has trouble. <sighs> this is a weird comparison. Pat Connaughton was like this vert specialist. You know, He had this high, super high vert. Okay, Grayson Allen might be a better one. Grayson Allen had this crazy right, high vert. Yeah. Grayson Allen does not dunk. Grayson Allen does not play with athleticism. Now, Scotty Barnes is six foot nine and has crazy long arms, so he's going to be more effective. Um, I also think they probably just talked to Scotty because he's just like, cool. There's no, he's a really, really likable person. And it's not to say that Jalen Suggs is like, not likable or somehow like teams don't like him. But I think they just fell in love with Scotty as the guy. And like, I, I understand the rationale. They, they also really, the Raptors maybe arrogantly really believe in their their ability to develop people they developed siakam they developed Loji ananobi they developed i mean fred van vliet kind of i I give him credit for that too but 
they they feel like Chris Boucher is a good basically guy. They got they picked up pulled out the scrap heap and he's turned into a solid player. They really think they can teach the kind of player that Scotty is to be more scoring oriented. He's just not a scorer. He's not wired that way. I don't. He, he's a matchup guy. Like he can. It's hard to find someone who can really guard him. But he just has not looked to score at this point. He's a defender. He's an excellent passer. But the frame and just the the makeup, I think, is what they fell for. And maybe they just don't think Suggs is like a surefire number one point guard, which I think is a fair criticism. Hey, Brian Jewell here. So now one of the hottest debates pre-draft, it was Jalen Green versus Evan Mobley. Now, how did you break down the comparison between those two prospects there? It's tough. Like I, I was a Mobley guy. I would have had I would have taken Mobley. But that's more because I think his skill set at his size position is just rare. There are not five, seven voters who move like he does and can play defense like he like he plays defense. He's not a he's not a rim protector. He is a rim protector, but he's not like a lot of centers get that rim protector. But like I think maybe James Booknight got past him in an ISO situation once. I don't really remember anyone else doing. He switched out on everybody and was just. The way I've been referring to Mobley lately is he he's like water. He conforms to the surface of whatever you put him in. Any possible defensive situation you put him in, he will figure out how to excel in it. The question for the question for Mobley, and I think the reason the Rockets, because they really wiped the slate clean, it's just like, is he going to be your lead scorer? And it's like, well, probably not, at least not for a while. And Green, I think, could probably do that immediately. And and is an elite athlete and a hard worker, and like there's nothing really wrong with Jalen Green. I was worried about his frame, but he held up pretty well in it, playing with adults in the G League. He wasn't playing against other freshmen, the other you know college age kids. He was playing against twenty six, twenty seven year olds, and wasn't getting like just destroyed physically. So that's a good sign. Uh, I think he was a better off ball player than I was expecting, and that could help him a lot. He's a good cutter. He he played well. Like there was nothing. There's really not a whole lot to pick apart. There's some defensive concerns, but you're not drafting a guy like that and thinking he's going to be your. You don't. You really don't draft anyone at two. Who is a six foot five, six foot six guard forward and think, yeah, this is my defender. Like, you're not asking him to do that. I, I would take Mobley, but it's always tough comparing guys who have the balls, ball in their hands and guys who don't. It's just different, you know, subsets. But I was, I was slightly Mobley ahead. I, I, and I think I hope I'm right in that, although it doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Jalen Green, and I know you touched on him going to the G League. Now, he did have some unorthodox choice by foregoing college and going straight to that G League, signing that contract. Do you think that him doing that, Jalen doing that, that would lead to more top prospects deciding to go the G League route instead of going to college? I can tell you it already has. It's going to be interesting this next year because I think the plan originally, before the pandemic started, they were not supposed to play against the other G League teams consistently but they were just supposed to be there tra- it's like a, a training academy and then they would play if i remember correctly they, they were supposed to play exhibitions against like other like prep teams and then maybe four or five games against other g league teams but they were mostly supposed to be like living in one city training that's why they hired brian shaw was wasn't so much him being a coach it was him being like a lifestyle coach almost and then, then they just became another G League team, and that I think that helped those guys a lot. But it's going to be interesting to see how it helps the next crop. But they've already gotten Jaden Hardy is you're going to hear if you hear the number two 
prospect. I don't believe that, but he's number two on like the ESPN board, but he's like a kind of another six, four, six, five scoring guard. This guy, Michael Foster was a pretty big recruit. He's going there. There's a guy from the NBL, actually, Dyson Daniels is going there. You're getting kind of a reverse Lamelo situation. And those three guys are all probably going to be drafted. And then there's a few other guys going there. The rumor is that Jalen Duran, who is the number one recruit next year, who is old, like he's going to be an old freshman, so he'd be eligible for this next year's draft. He's almost certainly not. He's going to either going to college or going to the G League in a few weeks. So he would go there and like that would be just as many star players as they had last year. So I, I think it's going to keep if these guys keep getting drafted, they all Dacian Nix didn't get drafted. But Isaiah Todd was a 31st pick. Kaminga was top 10 pick and, and Jalen Crystal like it. It worked. The experiment certainly worked. And uh, I don't really see why they wouldn't keep doing it. Other than being able to compete against, as you said, 27, 28 year olds instead of other freshmen in college and the physicality of that, do you think? There was anything else in the G League route that helped Jalen Green showcase himself a little bit better and Kaminga, I guess. Yeah, I think they would. I th- I think it's fair. I don't have like insight on the actual day to day machinations of that team, but I think it's probably reasonable to assume that uh, going somewhere that didn't have like, let's say they went to Duke and Chashevsky has his system. Like he's not the most rigid coach in the world, but he's not going to tear apart his system every year to fit two guys are going to be there for six months. And I feel like the G league definitely did run a lot more. They had a couple of plays where they ran him almost like they would run a double pin down off ball. And he would just like slice around and he's so fast. Like that was good for him. I think it's fair to say that they catered directly to their skill sets more like training and, and play calling and all that. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Another big surprise to a lot of people on draft night was how far Sharif Cooper ended up falling all the way to uh, the second round before the Hawks selected him at number 48. On your board, as well as a lot of mock drafts, we were seeing him more in the early to mid lottery even. Mm -hmm. I was watching some of PD Webb's marathon pre-draft film watching screen and in the Sharif film watching section, I think one comment that you made was that you thought he was possibly the hardest guy to mock mm-hmm. in this draft class. So what do you think prevented all those teams from picking him? And what skills did you see out of him that led you to rank him so high? I think the two things, the three things, really, maybe four, I'll say four. One, and this is probably a minor contributing factor, but his dad is his his agent, and I'm not going to insinuate that his dad is not good at this job, but his dad is not a high-powered agent. Like, Let's throw someone out like, like James Booknight. James Booknight's agent basically had a full court press for two months, which is why you were hearing him talked about as like a top-five pick. Not that he's not, ta- not talented. He's certainly a first-round caliber player. I think I had him in the 20s. But like, you, you were starting to see that sort of... It's the, sort of the thing that ESPN does when... <laughs> This is this is mildly conspiratorial thinking, but it, it's pretty much an open secret that especially when guys become juniors in high school, they start really to get cataloged and noticed by Nike and Adidas. Mm-hmm. And that's why they play on what's called the shoe circuit. A lot of the AAU circuits are the shoe circuits. Like they can't explicitly sign those guys yet. Well maybe they maybe they'll maybe they'll be able to in a couple of years. Right. But they will sort of like ball his life over time. A lot of those highlight factory places will start to really push a guy like Josh Christopher because he's popular. Josh Christopher is a good player. 
Uh, he was never the best player in this class. It's just ridiculous to say so, but he had the most Instagram followers and people knew who he was. So you were seeing that. So like those companies are doing that to sort of build these guys up ahead of time so that when they go into the league, they sign with Nike and it's a more profitable deal. Um, that's not, I'm not saying that's illegal or even immoral. It's just something that happens. But you, you see that with like some guys don't get like Derek Culver, regardless of his struggles. To me, he was roughly similar to RJ Barrett as a prospect. But you people knew who RJ Barrett was three years earlier, so it just wasn't talked about. Uh, there's plenty of guys like Mikhail Bridges. He was a junior. You know, he was not like a household name. So people didn't consider him. Shea Gilders Alexander was not a huge. He wasn't Colin Sexton. He wasn't getting high, you know commercials in in college and all this. He wasn't playing. He was playing at a big school, but he was sort of an afterthought that first few months in Kentucky. And that's a thing a lot of guys have to overcome. Like James Wiseman has gotten a lot of benefit of doubt. A because he's seven foot one and skilled, but B because he's a famous guy. Like he was the famous guy. Imani Bates is going to be a guy who gets that. When you're the best 16-year-old on the planet, you get four or five years before people really start to question you. And Sharif was never that guy. He was always you know, a small guard. He shot well in, in high school, but that's a high school line. And him in high school was like, it's not fair. He's too fast. To circle back with him, I think the other reason really is that he's, he's six foot one, maybe. He has a weird kind of lamello shot that doesn't look right. He shot, you know, 22% from three. And I think teams just really, I mean, I know for a fact, more than a couple teams who picked in the early second round, they had no imagination for how to use him. They, I think you kind of have to put him in a position where he has the ball a lot, and some teams just don't want to do that. And I'm sure there are some teams, and I'm sure, I actually would have guessed the Hawks to be one of them, but I suppose by 48, there's just no, no point not taking him, who just like don't need that guy. So it's like, why take him? But the Sharif is... is and this is not hyperbole. Probably the best passer. I, this is the fifth draft I've done like full time stuff on. He is the best passer I have seen, pretty significantly. Like just at creating advantages, hammering them open. Just like this, the technique of throwing passes. He's just completely sublime at it. And he he was putting up twenty two and eight in the SEC, the strongest, most physical conference, after missing half the season and not being allowed to practice with his team. It's just not something that anyone's done before. The only guy similar is John Morant. John Morant was doing it in, in the Ohio Valley Conference, and he was he was awesome. I, he's just he's just a very unique prospect. I don't I shouldn't say very unique. That's not how that word works. But he's just different. There's nobody quite like him. So I, I think teams were just they didn't really know what to think of him, or they had a point guard already, or they just were scared off by the shot. There's a lot of reasons. I'm really happy for him. He got picked. There may have been some teams that were offering him two-way deals and he refused that happens sometimes so i i really i'm not sure the exact reason it, it's not one it's more than likely some teams didn't for some reason think that a six foot one point guard can't succeed despite the playoff run that trey young just had uh and chris paul's entire career but it, it is true that that kind that size guy there's there's a uh there's a very high bar but i, I think sharif can clear that bar and i think he do that he will if not in atlanta then wherever he goes after Another trend we're seeing in the NBA right now is the increased global impact on the game between guys like Giannis, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic. We see the trend continuing right now in the Olympics with uh, a lot of the international teams catching up to the U.S. On Thursday, 6, 7, and 8, Josh Giddey, Jonathan Kaminga, Franz Wagner went consecutively. And then later in the first round, we had... 
Alperen Sangun and Usman Garuba, sorry if I butchered any of those names, going to the Rockets both. Out of the people in this draft class, do you see any of those having all-star potential, superstar level potential, like some of those previously aforementioned guys? I know the stats guys will want me to mention Shengun. The only international young international big man to put up similar numbers in the last 20 years was Jokic. The real problem for me is that Shengun is six foot ten. 230. Jokic is just a lot bigger. But Shengun is extremely skilled, dominated a pretty good league as an 18 year old, like dominated. And that's something I always talk about. You need to, this is the example I always use. CJ McCollum had like 19 dunks in 25 games his last year at Lehigh. Like CJ McCollum was dunking on people almost every game because he was just way, way better than them. He dominated his level. That's all you can do, you know? So Shengun, I mean, there's definitely a path. I think. It, I, this is not a direct comparison. If he becomes like a, a great player, it'll be more like Sabonis, which is still like 16th pick. That's a great outcome. You would take that 100 times out of 100. Giddy is weird because I think there is a path to him being a star. PD talks about this all the time, and I think it's a good way to look at it. If you want to pass someone being a star, you need to look at, is there one thing that makes them a star if they improve at it? And Giddy kind of has two, but I actually feel like I'm pretty confident he'll do both of those like he'll get stronger and larger he's gonna he's in the nba now nba people always say don't worry about that like we will put on weight and then the, the shooting I, th- I think he can shoot it was fine at his first two, three or four weeks in the nbl he was like two for 30 from three or something like that and after that he was like a 35 36 percent shooter like i think he'll shoot fine enough now fine enough to be a good player or well enough to be a star that's a pretty big golf but I, I'm I'm reasonably confident in him. I am not a Kaminga believer, but he is like a pretty great athlete. He's young. He plays hard. So there's there's reason to to buy in. Like Franz and, and Guriba, I'm a big fan of both of them. But those guys are those guys are high level role players. Probably soon, but they're not. I don't think either one's gonna be like a star. Actually, speaking of all these, you know, international prospects, mm-hmm. are there differences in your mental model you need to make? to gauge how well their skills will translate to the NBA game? Yeah, well, okay, that's a good... Shengun is a good example of that because the Turkish league is not very highly regarded athletically. It's just like a lot of European leagues, just a lot of guys in their 30s just pummeling you when you get in the lane. So I think he's going to be more exposed just like lateral athletics. Like, he's just not going to be able to switch out on anybody ever. The counterexample is like Giddy did fairly well in a very physical league for a guy who looks like that and moves like he does. That's actually pretty encouraging. So yeah, I think you always have to, even, even though a lot of European leagues are better, like higher level leagues in the NCAA, I would say until you get to the the top three or four in Europe, just athletically, the NCAA is still a higher threshold, even though there's a lot of guys in those teams who are going to, you know, they're going to graduate and begin work in an office and they're going to be working in an office building within six months of that game. Every single major conference is going to have guys who were the best player on their high school team. You know, there's a lot of six, eight, six, nine guys who were like 45 inch vert guys in college who just aren't good players, but they're still way better athletes than, than most guys in Europe. If a guy dominates just on tools and jump running and jumping, and it's in a league like, say, Pokashevsky played in, I think that would be worrisome. Unless, of course, his name is Giannis Adetokounmpo, and then it's fine, it works out. <laughs> 
I guess the next section we're going to transition to can be called like the let's name some guys part of the episode. <laughs> remember some guys? <laughs> yeah, remember some guys. First thing I want to ask in this section is obviously a lot of the top prospects historically in the draft are landing with bad teams and that's mm-hmm. just how the draft works. But is there anyone in this rookie class that you could foresee next season making a role player type contribution on a contending team? So like, yeah, this is something I've been, I've been talking about a lot with people. There were two players. There were two rookies who played any minutes on any of the four conference final teams. And they were a and maxi. And so obviously you would start there. <laughs> I don't know if Jalen Johnson next year is going to play a lot, but I think he could for the Hawks. Like he's got a skill level that they don't really have on that team. Skill set, I mean to say. And then Jaden uh, Springer. I think Jaden Springer will play. He's interesting because he can run offense a little bit, but he is really kind of a wing. Like he's huge. He's only listed as 6'4, but he is 225, 230. Like he's a massive guy. Uh, I think he could easily find himself in as like, as like Danny Green or whoever's backup. He could definitely help the, the Sixers because he's someone who's not named Matisse Thibel who can guard point guards which is they really desperately need. Maxie's not bad at it, but he's kind of small. Uh, all the Nets guys, because they just, they're going to be on a premium for roster spots. Like Daron Sharp is gigantic and good at rebounding and a good passer. Uh, Rickon Gray, I hope he makes a team. He's just cool. I don't know if he's going to play for them. Kessler Edwards could play for them. But it's just a 3D guy. Cam Thomas is, um, he could very easily play a role next year because he just shoots. I, I've been thinking of him as almost Ben Gordon. I don't think he's going to be that good, but the, he's just going to come in and shoot immediately. Like that's all. He, that's what he does. So, so role for that. Every team can use that off the bench. The Nets didn't really have that guy for most of last year. Nishan Highland, I think, could help the Nuggets, especially if Murray isn't back all that soon, which I'm not sure if he's supposed to be. I mean, maybe a guy like Isaiah Jackson plays for the Pacers some, or uh, Duarte. Duarte will pl- probably play for them. I joked to somebody that the only reason they picked him is because Rick Carlisle knew. He doesn't like playing 19, 20-year-olds, so just take a 24-year-old and play him instead. <laughs> but he's good. He's a good player. He can help. Maybe the maybe the Hornets guys, if they can get into the playoffs, can get some run. There's probably five to ten guys I'd be reasonably confident in. Moody. Moody will help the Warriors if they're good. <laughs> and if they're not, he'll still help them. Yeah. I mean, as you said, a lot of the times... If your team's good enough, there isn't really a space for the rookies to immediately show off mm-hmm. their skills. But next question in this section, was there a selection you saw on Thursday where you would say, that just makes sense. That's a perfect fit between the team and the draftee. Like, of course, they would draft that guy. Giddy, I think, is a big one for me. I mean, mo- like the, the top four or five guys all fit like because they're good. It's like, yeah, you need, you need this guy who's good. I really like Giddy because he can just go because they're not they're not trying to win next year either. We know that they just traded. I mean, they got Derek Favors, but I'm not going to play Derek Favors. They're they're still in asset accumulation mode, so like Giddy is just going to kind of have free reign to do what he wants, which is fun for him. Uh, I really like Zaire Williams at Memphis because they need wings, but they they're still a quality team right now. Like we know they're pretty good. I will see how they are without with Valanciunas gone and Stephen Adams in his place. But they they really just don't have like a really dynamic wing, and Zaire is almost six foot ten and is one of the better pull up shooters in this draft. At least he was coming into the year. He had a off court just like a nightmarish year. He hurt his knee right before the season started. 
he, I think he had COVID and then he had like four pe- family members die. So he was gone for like a month and a half. And then he got stuck in, in quarantine for another week or two after that. So he played like, I would say he played maybe two or three games healthy all year. And he played on like a, not a very good team with a weird fit. But that's just why he shot. I mean, he had horrible numbers, but the, the talent is real. Like Zaire is very, very talented. He was the best player on LeBron James Jr.'s high school team that was on ESPN all the time. Like he was the main guy, him and Brandon Boston. So I think Zaire is a great fit. Like it's a guy who could, if he really becomes like a actual legitimate scorer, that really changes the Grizzlies. And he has time to kind of figure that out. I like Trey Murphy and Herb Jones to the, the Pelicans. Uh, I was talking about this the other day. Uh, I think most people, myself included, when you have Zion, you would just get shooters. And Trey Murphy can shoot, and Herb Jones will hit a shot now and then. But I actually really kind of like the idea of just, it seems like he's going to be their center, ignoring Jonas. And now they're just going to surround him with a bunch of 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, guys who are good at defense. And that seems like a fun way to build around Zion. Keon Johnson of the Clippers is fine. I don't think he'll play much, but that's that's a good fit for just like the way they play because he's going to get minutes eventually. And, you know, I like Bones Highland in, in uh, Denver because he is the best shooter in the draft, and they have a guy who's very good at finding shooters. And then, like I said, uh, a lot of the Nets guys are good fits because they just they have like one role. Pretty much everyone they got is like a one skill guy, but you don't need. You know they have they they have their core. They don't really. They just need someone who can play fifteen minutes and not kill them. Right. That's why why Bruce Brown was so effective for them. Yeah. Oh, Deuce McBride. Deuce, sorry, Deuce McBride is the other guy. Just because Thibodeau will love him unconditionally. He's a, he's a psychopath like like Thibodeau. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a thing with guys who who willingly go to West Virginia where it's like Bob Huggins is not a bad person, but Bob Huggins is crazy. It's like yeah. people who willingly go there. Like there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of masochism in, in that choice. And it's like Thibodeau, he wants a guy who's going to shorten his career in life because he's playing too hard. And that, that is Deuce McBride. Deuce McBride is a crazy person. Last piece of this section. Is there anyone who you would single out as sort of being a feast or famine type player? Uh, that is like, you wouldn't be surprised if they make an ascent to become like an all-star level player, but you also wouldn't be surprised too surprised if they end up being pretty much out of the league pretty soon. I would use Sharif for this, but I don't really think he's ever going to be out. Like Ish Smith is still in the league. And I right. think he could, he could be, he will probably be at worst be that. Uh, Zaire's not a bad candidate for that. Although again, I always say this tall wings who have any kind of like off dribble shooting, like Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish is going to be not undeservedly. Cam Reddish is going to be getting like future star tags for, another seven or eight years primo i think i think that was a bad pick but he is young and is six foot six and can shoot so i wouldn't be like i don't all-star isn't i don't think in his grasp but I, he could be very good or he could be truly terrible kamiga could be out of the league in five years because he's not currently very good at basketball kai jones could be out of the league and kai jones is probably the best or jt thor both of those guys they are both good shooters like around screens and off dribble for six ten six eleven guys, but they're both also like not currently good at defense and love fouling and just kind of play really wildly. But both can also like they're they're the two best. Well, aside from Miles Bridges, they are the two best lob guys on that team immediately. And Lamelo is going to love throwing them full court lobs. This is a weird draft because there's not a whole lot of like 
I think because a lot of the riskier prospects went back because they mm-hmm. can make money now. There's not a whole lot of guys who were like really Michael Beasley style style guys, I guess. Although we didn't know that at the time. I think now we would have a better statistical context for him and would understand that he's not going to be having like a 36 usage in the NBA, which is what he needs. Following up on that, when you look at, maybe not this year, but historically when you look at guys coming in who are more raw or have what people call like quote-unquote potential, if not Mm -hmm. concrete skills, do you have more faith in certain teams and being able to extract those skills? Or like, are there teams that you put faith in being able to get that potential out of guys versus not? Or do you think that's more just a player-to-player type of thing? Uh, It is more case-by-case, but I would say if there's one team I have faith in doing that, it's the Raptors, because they've done it. And if there's one team I don't have faith in, Although they seem to have turned a corner on this a little bit, it's the Thunder. Because mm-hmm. we remember Dort worked out, but Dort wasn't a draft pick. Right. But they had that stretch there where they were looking. That was the biggest problem they had with that. Maybe, I mean, after Harden left with the Ibaka, Russ, Durant teams and like Thabo Cephalosha's, they never they could never find that fifth guy. And they ran through Terrence Ferguson, Hamidou Jallo. They ran through three or four quote unquote athletes, and none of them, they, 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 took them higher than they should have gone because I think Presti was feeling himself a little bit like, well, mm-hmm. this will work out because I've, he went out, he was just coming off probably the best stretch of drafting in the history of the sport. Like everyone he took was lights out. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I would say the thunder, but I think they've turned a corner on that a little bit there. They seem to be prioritizing some, some sort of skill. Now I think Shay's kind of helped change their mind on that. Last question of this show, and thank mm-hmm. you again for all of the, your insight you've shared today. Personally, I don't know a lot of these guys, and I think mm-hmm. that's the case for a lot of our listeners, but really learning a lot today. This last question will be sort of open-ended. Uh, you can define the criteria here however you want, but if there's one guy whose name you want us to remember and always keep an eye on this season or even beyond this season from this rookie class... Who would it be and why? Uh, I anyone in the top twenty, I think people at least have some concept of. Maybe I mean Shengun is kind of a mystery man, but that's always the case. Nobody, the, the average fan is not. I mean, I only think I saw five or six games of his, so I, even then I could be wrong. I mean, I have a pretty good concept of what he is, but I'm not watching a lot of Turkish second league games. Maybe I should. Maybe that's a you know fault on my end. Yeah, people know who Kispert is. I, I'm going to go with, because I seem to be the only person on the internet who likes to pick and defends it, I'm going to go with Santi Aldama at 30 to the Grizzlies because I know they they were big fans of his. And I know this because they have, they've hired like five people out of draft Twitter. Draft Twitter is a big fan of his. People were confused because this he's not a guy who showed up a lot on. I did a lot of mocks he wasn't on. I knew people who had him in the top 10 at some points because he... Six foot eleven, and had just I talked I said before about dom- you have to dominate where you play. He played the Patriot League, which is where TJ McCollum played, which is a not a good league, but dominated the Patriot League to the extent that the team he was on, I think, was like three and twelve at one point. And when he came, when he started playing this year, he had uh, some kind of ankle injury that was kind of nagging him. They made it all the way to the conference championship game, and he was averaging, I think, in the conference tournament, it was averaging like twenty nine and nineteen. He's a good passer. He's a good defender. He just kind of looks weird and moves weird. He's a really thin, tall Spanish guy, but he dominated on youth league stuff in Spain. 
And the real thing I heard with them is they really wanted him and they planned on just signing him to an undrafted deal. And then people didn't really notice this when they took him at 30, uh, the Thunder immediately traded their next two picks because that's who they wanted. So I, I think Aldama, like the Grizzlies have shown more than any other team. They were very, very good at finding the guys who short, like just Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain, Anthony Melton. They're very, very good at, at zeroing in on the guys they want to be their role players. And they cut Jonte Porter recently, which tells me that a Jonte Porter is maybe not as healthy as he should be. And B that they, they want to bring this guy over and have him be their backup center. Georgie, Jan- Georgie Jang is gone. They don't really like playing Jaron at center. Cause he just fouls too much. Mm-hmm. And Tillman is Tillman is sort of a, I mean he's a center but he's a six foot seven center so that's like a different set like I, I always consider that to be like you have your center and then you have your PJ Tucker so you can play small but that's not like that's two different modes you can kind of switch in and out of um, but yeah Aldama is is tall like he only shot thirty one percent from three but he took a lot and they were all like off dribble like I think he's going to be a quality NBA player reasonably quickly if they bring him over there's rumor that they may stash him again he may go back into back to spain somewhere but i think he's going to be a guy who just he's just played a lot more than a lot of these other he's one of those guys who played in pro leagues then came to college and was just like Mm. dominating college so i really like him i think he's going to be a good player i only really lowered him on my board because i'd heard he was just not going to be he was just going to go back overseas immediately and not even get drafted so i'm really happy somebody picked him up well, Santi Aldama, I've etched the name into my brain <laughs> because you told me to, and I'm excited to watch him. Thanks After all for... that, he's, he's probably not. Now, now they're going <laughs> to stash him, and he won't be in the NBA for three years. So you know, well, that's how it goes. maybe I'll I'll be watching some uh, whatever league he ends up in then. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time, Brian. Uh, yep. I learned a lot today. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Brian. Yep, you're welcome. Thanks again to Brian Schroeder, to our sponsors at DraftKings, and most importantly to you, our loyal listeners. Your hosts for this episode were me, Lauren Lee Chen, and Duel Graham, whom you can follow on Twitter at Lauren Lee Chen and at GiveMeABuck, respectively. You can also follow the show on Twitter at OnTheNBABeat and on our website at OnTheNBABeat.com. This episode was produced and edited by me, with additional production help from Duel Graham and Aaron Fishman. As always, you can listen to more episodes and subscribe to the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. If you like the show, it's always appreciated if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network 